G'day, I'm Rowan Barker. Welcome to another episode of The Silver Bullet. In today's rapidly evolving payment systems industry, Australian fintech Datamesh has emerged as a pioneering force, shaking up the landscape with its cutting-edge solutions. Founded by Mark Nagy, Datamesh has been at the forefront of integrated payment capabilities and customer insights. Indeed, Datamesh is a company on a mission to redefine the payment systems industry. Its solutions are poised to transform the way retailers, banks and acquirers operate. The company's core philosophy revolves around seamlessly bringing together payment technology, compliance and data analytics to create a holistic payment ecosystem. In this interview, we'll dive into the company's mission, examine the role of AI in its cloud-native stack and how it addresses the ever-evolving challenges of the payment industry. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me today. So just to start off for us, give us an overview of Datamesh and its mission in the payment system industry. Yeah, so Datamesh is a software company. We sometimes get confused as being a payments company, and that's not what we are. We're actually a software company that's built a whole suite of products which we like to describe as a bank in a box, which essentially resolves a number of the legacy systems that exist out there today where older payments technology is struggling to keep up with the changing demands of merchants and their customers. And so what we've done is created a full set of off-the-shelf solutions that are all cloud-hosted that literally sit in front of an acquirer or a payments processor and answer the questions that are being asked around technology experiences at point of sale or online or, in fact, on mobile. So, again, we do it as software as a service and uh, it's a white-label solution and we're partnering with a number of larger organisations to deliver it today. So what are those questions you talk of? Yes, and typically things like once upon a time, as we move more towards electronic payments, it was a kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. So what you had was basically, it doesn't matter whether you're a fuel site or a restaurant or a hotel or a public transport system or a uh, anything of the like, they all get the same solution. The trouble is today, people are now paying with their phones, they're paying online, mm. they're using Google Pay, Apple Pay. Uh, the point of sale experience is different. You can imagine you're going into a quick service food restaurant like a McDonald's or a Hungry Jack's or something, or you want to go through drive through or you're at a fuel site. All of the payment experiences are very, very different. Mm. And But the trouble is the, the merchant, as in all of those organisations, they know exactly what they want to deliver, but they need a payments partner to be able to do that. And typically the payments partner has also been responsible for creating the technology. Now, to be fair, it's not their fault. They just mm. haven't had much to pick from today. And our job is to resolve that. And that's what we've been doing. So you're sort of, uh, rather than sticking with a legacy system, you can tweak it and have something that's bespoke for each particular situation. Yeah, and so to give you an example, you're in a fuel site, you pick up the Bowser and you pump fuel, then you go in and pay. Not everyone wants to do that. The ability to be able to tap your card on the on the, uh, on the the petrol Bowser and pay uh, is an incredibly complex task, believe it or not. It sort of sounds simple. Mm. Uh, that's one example. Or you're driving through a drive-through at a quick service restaurant, you still have to order the food, then you've got to lean through the window, and sometimes you can pay by card. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just pay at the time you're ordering? And statistics show that when you actually offer that capability, people will spend more when they're paying by card rather than paying by cash. I can give you a thousand mm. examples of how these businesses understand that if you can in, in, improve the experience, yep. um, you get far better outcomes and you get greater basket size and more spend. 
The other part that we're resolving too is all the data analytics for everything we do. We capture all that data and we pass that on to onto the merchants and that helps them understand their customers a little bit better whether it's online or in store but it's the integration of the technologies that are typically the legacy stuff in the market today that's what we go after and we and that's that's essentially where we play so yeah you're integrating the payment capabilities and the customer insights so how do your solutions achieve this integration yeah so we start with the core tenant of everything is there's a financial transaction but unlike others in the industry who have said, we can fix your problems, merchants, but we're also going to take the banking business away, Dynamesh made a fundamental um, decision to say, look, we're going to partner with the, the banks and the acquirers and whatever to d- deliver that solution. So in quite simple terms, the way it works is we've got a core switching platform, which essentially processes the financial transaction that occurs with everything that someone buys, whether mm-hmm. it's online or in store. That's number one. Then there's a series of tools that help the credit card terminal or the e-commerce gateway or the cash register or the mobile phone or any other method by which someone interacts with what's legacy inside the store to actually achieve that outcome. So we're that kind of glue that sits between all those disparate pieces. And the problem in the past is there's a million squillion vendors that sort of basically pull all that stuff together. Mm. What we've developed is a set of tools that you can go to one organisation to get those outcomes you're looking for. So we're kind of the guys that sit in the middle to glue everything together. So you also, this switching software resolves the payment side of it, but also compliance. How does it do that? Yeah, so that's actually a really good point. Um, The way we achieve that is basically we've built a core platform that assumes that you are a bank. Right. So we've we've gone right into the deep end of the pool with all the major, most difficult global certifications so that when the question gets asked by any of our partners, do you meet this standard? We are at the highest possible standard for approvals. If we wanted to, we could actually become a payments provider in our own right mm-hmm. and then go through all the licensing. But because that would then conflict with our partners, we've chosen to stay, look, that's not what we do. Yeah. We'll do all of the payments processing piece on your behalf but when it comes to doing the gold bars at midnight we'll leave that to the the banks or the acquirers to manage that last mile right but but what's also super cool is i think this is probably an important point if i could just make we yeah sure the way this is the way this is typically dealt with in the past it requires the bank or the payments processor to completely place new technology in and then uh, grandfather their old system so literally throw it out the way our system works is you can plug our system into front of your legacy system. So we've developed, this is a bank, we've developed a series of integrations to all the most of the popular legacy payment switches in the market. And they can bolt our system in front of theirs and then start to use ours gradually. And they can make a decision whether they want to go full scale and retire their old one or simply use us as the blunt instrument that sits in front of the you know, the old platform to actually achieve the experience that you want to achieve. So there's really a couple of options here, but we de-risk the transition is where I'm going. And the customer is none the wiser, right? It's Your aim is a completely seamless transaction for the user on both sides, no matter what sort of uh, initial system they had. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, we've got lots of evidence that I can't go into the specific details of today sure, that, sure. Show that, that, show, that show that going down this path is generating a huge amount of improved experience at point of sale or online. And the banks are actually enjoying a significant increase in gross transaction volume coming through as a result of it. I mean, some quite astounding numbers are already starting to be delivered to some of our banking partners. 
Fantastic. So I know you use AI in your cloud native stack. Can you tell me a bit about how that enhances your solutions, payment and data wise? Yeah. So the the again, um, obviously AI is becoming really you know powerful tool, and it's uh, it's really starting to mature. Well, who knows where it's going to go? It seems to be an exponential yeah. growth. From mm. from our perspective, we use it from everywhere, from basically our testing process, automating testing and and automation within the business to actually helping us manage our code development. Uh, from a from a customer experience side of it, that means faster delivery times. You know, we're never going to say we're perfect because we absolutely are not. But you know, the AI is helping us get better outcomes in a shorter period of time. Not by necessarily removing the human factor, but by mm. removing removing the human error factor. And uh, on the customer facing side of it. Um, we're using the AI tools to better enhance the way we interrogate our data pools. So we have an enormous amount of data stored now from literally every transaction that you know that occurs, and obviously the merchant owns the data. So the merchant's really interested in interrogating that data, and we're providing AI tools for them so they literally can ask questions in normal language, like tell me all the uh, all all the you know people under 14 years of age that put an ice cream in my store and live in this postcode that, mm. you know, uh, that also somewhere along the way bought a packet of potato chips. And, you know, really hard to write a script to interrogate a database to do that. AI allows us to give that kind of degree of interrogation and support. And, and you don't need to be an engineer to do it. That's the cool part about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, you can do it in plain English. And that, I guess, helps you to tailor individual solutions for different uh, different situations. Yeah, that's actually also a really good point. Um, you know, the older way of doing things, and we think we're pretty sort of we're pretty cool around here in the way we do stuff. But the older the older way of doing it was essentially you had to write an interrogation script. Mm. Uh, you know, with all sorts of and the, you know literally going to different points in a database um, using the normal language approach that AI provides you. It it has the intelligence to go looking for you know, that bespoke question, which means from our perspective, the flexibility that our customers can apply in terms of how they they use this towards our systems is really cool. The second side of it is too also, it helps analyze the financial side of the transactions as well. So it's not just the data, but it also helps them with settlement and reconciliation, which is a really hot topic at the moment. You know, a lot of businesses are now starting to deal with gift card providers, you know, mainstream credit and debit cards, you know, specific loyalty cards and, you know, some instances fuel cards or public transit. And that's not just in Australia, that's globally. Mm. And then when you multiply that, it becomes quite an exponential number. This uh, That solution helps us really achieve that outcome very quickly. Yeah, it's a bit more complicated than, you know, say early in my lifetime when your two options were cash and then bank card, which was, a you know, a, a very novel payment solution, uh, you know, about 50 years ago. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, look, the thing is, um, you know, statistically, the world's really moving to digital payments, you mm. know, the, the, the confluence of, you know, uh, uh, capability within, you know, mobile telephones, you know, the Google Pay, Apple Pay phenomenon, you know, the online experience that was turbocharged during COVID, you know, government wanting to sort of have a greater propensity to collect GST. And and then you've got all the nuances of domestic debit card networks around the world. Um, you're really starting to see a whole set of similar problems, but done in many, many different ways. And that's kind of where we saw the opportunities. How do you aggregate that all together? I'm trying really hard to not use orchestration 
as a, a phrase because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's been done to death. But it really is about how you consolidate all of these, you know, disparate um, interactions and payment methods and payment rails into one single methodology for doing it. But the difference between us and others is that we provide that really industrial strength switching platform at the back, which actually is the bit that 99% of everyone else is trying to have a crack at solving this. We think we've sort of, we started at that end, the really difficult mm. end of saying, you know, we, that we think that's the piece that has to be solved first and then build out from there. So you can pretty much do all kinds of payment systems and technologies. So how do you adapt to different hardware and acquire preferences as you're going along? Yeah, so um, look, we're constant. So we have teams here that are constantly working on that um, that problem. Uh, what we're trying to do is not create hybrid solutions. So we set out from the onset to build a whole lot of technologies that we think could solve most of the questions, if not all, but certainly most of the questions that are being asked of us globally. And so. The interesting part about it is the bar is really low at the moment in terms of what you have to deliver to just to achieve an, achieve an exceptional outcome. Right. This is the crazy, crazy part about right. it. So, so you know, over the coming years, we will continue to enhance our offering. Think of it like a bookshelf and we add another book to the shelf, you know, of capability. Mm-hmm. But, but in simple terms, we're learning also to say no to things. So if we can get a standardized set of products that basically resolves 90% of the problems that banks and acquirers and merchants have in the world, I think we've more than succeeded in that. So the temptation not to build those hybrids, to standardise our product set, that allows us more capable support, more reliability for our customers. And then obviously we're proving this now because we're going uh, international with the uh, with the program. Right. We're, live in, we're live in other parts of the world already and we're seeing significant tre- uh, volume. And the final part of your question, if I just say, is We've developed a series of normal language APIs that make it very easy to connect to uh, international payment networks. So like whether you're in India or whether you're in the US, for example, there's 22 debit card networks in the US, Right. incredibly difficult to connect right. to. Wow. We think it's just EPOS in Australia. Yeah. Or this UPI in India, you know, which again, you know, very tightly controlled by the Reserve Bank. So, you know, we're in the process of making so that that's a really easy way to connect to all of those things. So... It can be tricky to balance the interests of, you know, many stakeholders. How do your solutions cater to banks, acquirers and merchants all simultaneously without competing with acquirers at the same time? Yeah. Um, So basically we designed the solution for merchants, but our customer is banks, except we do do business with enterprise level merchants like large oil, large quick service food, government and so on. But typically our customers are banks, acquirers, and the card schemes, Visa and MasterCard. Mm -hmm. And so they are effectively either our clients or our resellers of our solution. Um, We're pitching ourselves to be Switzerland. So uh, we're pitching ourselves to be a software company. Uh, I I have to be totally honest with you, that doesn't sit well with everyone. So there are people, there are organisations that won't deal with us because uh, they see us as being, uh, you know, the middleman that's going to obviously potentially be able to disenfranchise their Mm. relationships. But there's still a mile of others on the other side that go, you know, look, this is so fixing a problem for us that, uh, you know, we'd be crazy not to jump on it. So, uh, you know, so, and, and, you know, we're talking about a massive pool of organisations. Over 30,000 banks around the world have got this problem. 150,000 enterprise level merchants, you know, that are, that are right to go. That's a big market. 
And uh, uh, the trick here is our go-to-market, and we're doing that through the card schemes and some other large organisations globally. And presumably the market is growing all the time as well as, um, you know, payment systems become more and more widespread in, in, you know, emerging economies. Yeah, well, look, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, we, 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 we watch cycles going through and, you know, what we did today, we don't do tomorrow and then we go back and do the same thing. Great example is the old uh, green screen computers, you know, that used to hang off a central server. Then we went to fat clients. Now we're back to, you know, the internet based solutions. So, where we are at the moment, you know, the outcomes of, you know, the GFC in 08, then, you know, a really large movement up in millennial uh, activity in terms of, um, you know, payments usage and so on. Mm. The transition towards debit card, a high move towards digital payments. What we're seeing globally is that banks and acquirers are saying, look, you know, we're not great at being technology companies. We are because we have to be because we mm. need to get the bank, the transaction banking. And obviously, the only way to do that is to give a solution to our customers. So we battle on with this thing with hundreds or sometimes thousands of people within the organisations yeah. trying to keep up with tech requirements. Where we go is we actually say, look, you can you can literally retire that and uh, give them an opportunity to massively reduce their operating expenditure. Um, and that's that's the problem we solve for the balance sheet at, at you know, banks and acquirers. And has this move to digital payments accelerated because of COVID over the last few years? Yeah, most definitely. So, uh, some, you know, I'm a stats guy, I love stats. And, uh, you know, obviously during COVID, all the face-to-face retail shut down. Uh, yeah. When we came out the other side of it, been an enormous bounce back, you know, uh, I'm seeing numbers around 80% of all transactions in Australia now back to face-to-face, which is a huge number. Mm. Uh, the, num- the number I saw in the US just recently was 71%. Right. So that tells me that, Apart from the wall of money people were sitting on during COVID, you know, I think they're all keen to get back out there. That doesn't mean we're seeing a declining growth in online. What we're seeing is the two being matched together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Western world loves shopping, you know, in shops and the developing world is also doing exactly the same thing. You know, it's just they they don't have credit card terminals. They pay phone to phone. So, ah, look, you know, it's uh, we're people we like interacting with others, you know, mm, and yeah. uh, the growth is going on. It's cash that's the cash is the, the victim here. Yeah, yep. cash is disappearing. That that does seem to be the case, doesn't it? There's um, articles in the media almost every day about the decline of cash, which is being bemoaned by some people. Do you think it's inevitable? Yeah, look, I, I mean, you know, uh, we are seeing uh, certain Scandinavian countries now have, have moved to trying to be completely digital payments. I think we've still got a ways to go in Australia and there are a number of factors in that. So it's very much a country-by-country country thing is where I'm going. Uh, like you t- there are certain countries in Asia that are still only 30% of all their traffic are digital, where I saw literally an article yesterday that Australia's 80, uh, was 90, uh, sorry, 88% of transactions are now uh, digital in Australia, only 12% of wow. cash. So, you know, and that's gone from... 70% in 2008 to that number today. So I think it's inevitable it's going to go that way, but uh, it's more going to be a country-by-country country thing rather than a sort of a one-hit global. I yeah. know the governments of the world would love to see that because obviously it gives them greater visibility on transactions and vicariously uh, tax collection. Sure. Now, you said you're a stats guy. So what role does data analytics play in data meshes solutions and how does that help merchants in getting a 360-degree view of their customers? You know, our data analytics package is probably um, still in its infancy. 
are very very powerful. So don't 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 let me put it down. But we've got a long way to go to that. Twenty twenty four is actually the year where we really double down on making that sing. Uh, data is about um, having a massive data lake of data that you can actually go to. So the more data you hold, the more powerful the proposition becomes. But we're already working with a number of organisations where we're actually showing them some incredibly detailed uh, analysis of who their customers are, what share of the basket they're getting, and um, and essentially where we think they're going wrong. Um, and so we're starting to see some uh, some activity based around that information that is actually changing customer behaviour because we all hate getting spammed. But if you get something at the right moment that is very, very topical based on what this system believes uh, you're, uh, you're interested in, there's a very high likelihood that will turn into a conversion. So it's also being used as a powerful tool for some of our customers to deal with their suppliers uh, in terms okay. of, you know, uh, actually unlocking the merchant's relationship with suppliers. So, for example, liquor suppliers, giving the liquor suppliers an opportunity to participate, you know, in the consumer activity and help drive benefits where it's not funded by the retailer, but rather funded by the supplier. So we're seeing some activity in that space, which is really interesting. You know, AKA, next time you come to this hotel, we will give you this brand rather than that brand, and we will pay for that for the brand switch. So the the merchant doesn't have to pay for it. And then there's all sorts of analytics about buy it the first drink you buy, you'll typically buy the next two to follow the same unless there's a problem with it. So that's the kind of information we're providing and we're really seeing a lift in uh, basket size uh, sales as a result of that activity. And B2C and B2B in there you were mentioning because it can target on, on both sides of the ledger. That's right. So so it is a tool designed for both. But again, we don't want to be the guys that are actually doing the analysis now. We are doing a fair bit of that at the moment, mm. but that's more to establish the product's capability. Back to your AI question, we're using certain tools to be able to make it more in the hands of the merchant mm-hmm. and then eventually more in the hands of the merchant's customer so that they can have that relationship. So, But again, we're really myopically focused on if we can't make this into a toolbox that we don't have to run, we're not doing it. Right. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Now, the Australian Payments Network, I understand, is considering changes to payments handling. How does DataMesh adapt to evolving regulatory and security requirements? Yeah, so we're always at the, we try to be at the leading edge of compliance and regulatory. And obviously, uh, you know, as certain changes come through, you know, obviously we keep keep track with, you know, what AusPayNet are proposing. And typically we do that in lockstep with our payments partners. So we're, we're very much a passenger on that journey, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, we've got people in here that are dedicated to nothing other than that. And, uh, and what's interesting is it's a global thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we, do, what we do in India or what we do in the United States or what we're doing in Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Malaysia and so on, that's very different. You know, they're all extremely different regulatory requirements. It's actually becoming a really big part of our business uh, to, to manage that side of it. So, but we're definitely, uh, we're definitely 100% want to keep aligned. And in the case of the OzPayNet thing, you know, we have a great relationship with those guys and, uh, you know, we're regularly uh, interacting with them on certifications and uh, compliance. Looking ahead to the future of payments and data processing, how is DataMesh positioning itself to, to be a leader in that future? Yeah, look, it's just, you know, we're trying to, as we as I said earlier, you know, we've got this toolbox and this set of a suite of tools for our, in inverted commas, bank in the box. Um, 
you know, there are, it's what's interesting is this is about creating better experience between the consumer and the, and the, and the merchant, whether it's in store or online. Uh, there are global trends emerging that, you know, uh, find their way into certain countries and not in others. Job number one is for us to keep a, across those and be able to easily and quickly apply those in, in test cases here uh, in such a way that we don't have to replace a whole solution to be able to allow a merchant to test something. So to give you an example, at the moment, we're, uh, we're doing some work in, uh, in public transport systems and we're trying new ways of being able to pay on a bus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, buses are typically running around all over the place, bad communications and the whole nine yards. So for, for to be able to innovate in that space doesn't sound really very sexy, but it's actually incredibly important to the operators because, uh, you know, they can make it much more seamless for their customers to travel. Um, so, again, we're trying to keep ahead of all of those sort of things, but often the best innovators we have are our customers because they're typically saying, we would love to do this, but only if we yep. could do that. And and so, you know, we've got to try as really hard as we can to keep our ears to the ground. Forums like this, for example, are a great way of putting out to the world that, you know, hey, we're here, come and talk to us. You know, we, we, we're about fixing problems and, you know, if we can help, we will. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that the banks are kind of reluctant technology players in a way. So is part of your mission you see is enabling them to remain competitive and relevant and taking some of that difficulty off their hands? Yeah, look, at, at the end of the day, you've got to pick a team and we pick Team Bank. Um, you know, that's uh, where we went to. Um, we identified that because there is literally a number of banking organisations around the world, you'd be horrified to find out, that are running technology that was literally built and designed in the 20th century. And, uh, and you know, when we look at the exponential growth of, you know, technology at the merchant and consumer end today, it's impossible for those poor devils to keep up. Mm. Now, not a whole lot of people feel sorry for banks, but, you know, <laughs> they are our customers. Yep. And, and so the answer to your question is, yes, they're really struggling to keep up. Uh, you ask any large merchant group, they'll tell you that one of their biggest frustrations is, you know, the glacial pace by which banks and acquirers move. And to be fair to them, it's not their fault. Mm. You know, they're saddled with solutions that cost a heap of money to run and and uh, and an army of people to operate. And, and, you know, literally, you know, it's like driving an aircraft carrier down Sydney Harbour. You're going to have to do it very, very slowly and carefully. Um, our, our job is to place, to very simply place something in front of that at super low risk and immediately to be able to answer the problems that they're facing in either customer attention or customer growth as a result of the threats that are coming by some of the large organisations out of Europe and the US that are literally going around the world and hoovering up uh, banking relationships. For the banks, they need to preserve those relationships to be mm-hmm. those technology companies because they've got no other choice. Banks actually are in merchant acquiring because obviously it generates transaction banking yeah. and that creates cash deposits overnight, which is really important for the bank's debt to lending ratios. And so move, losing merchant acquiring loses a big chunk of opportunity for them to raise capital. And then obviously they've got to go to market for other ways. So so we we play, we play a strategic role in in helping them very, very quickly remediate. Like, well, we're talking weeks, not years, wow. to actually to get a system in place because we are fully connected to the most of the major networks. The large, We get in through the back door to start with until we do a native link if that's the best option. And essentially the banks can get up and running with us really, really quickly. Uh, for example, we've won a project in the United States with a, an acquirer up there. It'll take us four weeks to get them live. Uh, and operational with their first customer because it's all cloud-based, mm. and uh, 
and then uh, and you know they do about the third third of the volume of most of our themselves of most of our major banks here in Australia. What sort of time frame would you be looking at traditionally for something like that? Eighteen months. Wow! So four weeks versus eighteen months. Yeah. Now four weeks is a super compliant customer, but you know you, you're talking two to three months maximum. Yeah, but that's, that's the low-hanging fruit you're going after rather than the rats and mice you mentioned you, you're going to sort of stop chasing if you can get your yeah. 90% covered and, and go from there with a kind of standardised offer. That's right, yeah. This is all about not just the solution experience but a low, really low-risk, low-capex, low-opex model. You know, And the cool part about this is we've worked with one bank that literally said, look, like the idea, can't think of anything wrong with it. Right. We want to do one FPOS terminal, one. <laughs> with one merchant just to make sure that you're not going to screw this up. And uh, and so we say, yeah, no problems. No problems, we can do that. Right. So you're turning it on its head by the sound of things. Well, that's right. Typically in the past it's been, you know, uh, there's one of the major banks in Australia recently acquired a new financial switching platform. So we're talking about an 18-month process, several hundred million dollars of investment and probably close to 500 people to do that job. And then everything's got to move from one across to the other. Mm. Okay. So, you know, and then if it doesn't go well, which is, you know, history has shown with some organisations in the past, it doesn't, mm. or they don't get the benefit they need by the upgrade, um, you know, everything goes to sand. So, you know, again, we see risk as the biggest issue that financial institutions are dealing with. Uh, that's not to say we don't deal with execution risk on our own heart, on our own behalf. So, we know dealing with large organisations like some of the major banks in the US, they go, we love you, Data Mesh, everything's great, but, you know, who are you and what happens if things fail? So we have ways around that through our partnerships with big uh, our distributors, big firms that distribute. But execution risk is the number one problem that banks face today when they think about change. Mark, fascinating chat today. It sounds like you are really shaking things up in the payment sector. All the best with uh, Data Mesh Group for the future. No, look, really appreciate the opportunity today and uh, and love telling the story and just look, Merry Christmas to everyone who's listening. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All the best. 